Let's open our Bibles this morning to Galatians chapter 5 once again. I just want to inform you that'll be Lauren's like last Sunday with us for quite a while. Next week will be his last Sunday with us for quite a while. He's going to uh, graduate school for his Master's of Theology. I don't know what you do with a Master's of Theology, you know, but um, off you will go to Wheaton, and uh, he will enter the world of academics, and uh, we're just expecting great things, Lauren, that's all, okay? Or he can get Starbucks. A pastor at Starbucks, okay, or a theologian in residence at Starbucks, okay. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and following, we, are, we have two weeks left in our study of the fruit of the Spirit. So if you're able, would you stand with me as we read the Word of God? Heavenly Father, come upon us this morning. Open our eyes to your Word. Send your Holy Spirit to give us understanding, not just so we hear the words, not just so we see them, but that they penetrate us, Lord, that they they touch our very core and our very being, that your word would fill us in all that we are. We ask these things in Christ's name, amen. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and following, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, or envying one another. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. When we think of uh, gentleness, gentleness in, in our society, in our, our kind of uh, colloquial context, we think of gentle giant, okay? That might be one thing that strikes you. And I think of, um, I was struck this morning, I was out walking the dog and I was kind of reviewing this and I thought of Conrad Ahia. And just a very, so for those of you who knew him, very large person, very large man, very, very gentle. Gentle in his spirit, gentle in the way that he went about things, um, and, and that's what strikes me. Now, when we look at, at gentleness in this context, now, the, the fruit of the Spirit is divided up into three groups of three, okay? So there are nine portions of the fruit of the Spirit, and typically theologians divide them up in three groups of three. But when you get to these last two, they almost stand alone because one leads into the other. Gentleness leads into self-control. Both are in short supply in our society, and we're going to chew on that in in just a few moments, I think. But you see gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So as as I went looking for examples of gentleness within our society and within our culture, uh, I'm sure there are, are plenty, but, but I went back to when it was really important. So I found a book whose title I just love. I just love this title. You ready? The Gentleman's Book of Etiquette and Manual of Politeness, being a complete guide for a gentleman's conduct in all his relations towards society, containing rules for the etiquette to be observed in the street, at table, in the ballroom, evening party, and morning call, 
with full directions for polite correspondence, dress, conversation, manly exercises, I don't know what manly exercises are, okay, and accomplishments from the best French, English, and American authorities, okay? 1860, that's, that's its copyright date, 1860. Well, there are, there are quite a few chapters, and I, I read large sections of this, but I'm just going to quote a little bit from it, from chapter 11, 100 Hints for the Gentlemanly Deportment. 100 Hints for the Gentlemanly Deportment. Gentlemen, never allow a lady to get a chair for herself, ring a bell, pick up a handkerchief or a glove she may have dropped, or in short, perform any service for herself which you can perform for her when you are in the room. Okay? Has anybody opened a door for a lady and she looked at you funny? Uh, well, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. I don't need that. Well, if she drops her glove, be sure to pick it up for her, okay? Uh, never perform any little service for another with a formal, formal bow or manner as if conferring a favor but with a quiet, gentlemanly ease, as if it were not a ceremonious, unaccustomed performance, but a matter of course for you to be courteous. Habits of self-possession and self-control acquired early in life are the best foundation for the formation of gentlemanly manners. If you unite with this the constant intercourse with ladies and gentlemen of refinement and education, you will add to the dignity of perfect self-command and polished ease of polite society. And one more of the hundred hints. Gentility is neither in birth, wealth, or fashion, but in the mind. A high sense of honor, a determination never to take a mean advantage of another, adherence to truth, delicacy, and politeness towards those with whom we hold intercourse are the essential characteristics of a gentleman. Well, there you go. Guys, if you ever want to know how you were to respond in a gentle fashion... There's a brief glimpse for you, okay? Now, I think we find in our present times the gentleness is not as highly valued as it was in former times. Now, I went and looked at qualities of leadership, okay? And we asked questions about what types of qualities are looked for in leaders, and these are the qualities that CEOs most admired. A strong vision, motivational caring, innovative, persistent, and strong ethics. Those were the qualities that were most admired in leaders by CEOs. Two guys named Kozis and Posner have polled over 100,000 people in questioning and searching for the qualities of leadership, and they came up with the top four. Honest, inspiring, competent, and forward-looking. Okay? Now, we don't find gentle in any, of, in any of these. Well, let's go back in history a little bit and see if we can find some gentleness in history that is, that is respected. The ancient Greeks, remember, had no word for humility. No word for humility. So I don't think we're going to find gentleness with them because they valued strength, especially strength in battle. They valued cunning because their heroes were often cunning. We think of the Trojan horse and beauty. All their goddesses were of exceptional beauty. So strength, cunning, and beauty, no gentleness there. So we see that gentleness doesn't really have a high value in a lot of societies or at portions and times throughout history. And I believe that in our society today, we've lost a a sense and certainly much of even our ability to be gentle 
with one another. Now, if all I had to do was turn on the television to find out the lack of gentleness. If you turn on any news or opinion program with more than one person on there, there seems to be a real lack of gentleness because they like to talk over one another. Okay? And, and one person will start to talk and the other just, just jumps in and then they, they go on and I usually turn them off at that point. Uh, or even on the radio when there's more than one person. Now I understand they have to be entertaining as well as informative. I usually find them neither uh, in that sense. Um, or how about when someone challenges a view of someone else or brings up a topic and raises it that is in uh, contradistinction to what somebody holds? Well, hardly ever is there gentle interaction between the two. Typically, the response is to attack the messenger, not the message, to attack the credentials, even the character or their motives. Rarely do I find people who disagree being gentle with one another. Now, there are a couple of important, very important issues facing the church in our present day and age. Um, and, and here are, are, are a couple, and I'm going to list them, and I want you to take a little barometer of your own heart and your own emotional response as we go through these, okay? And see how you respond inwardly when we talk about these, and you'll see why I want you to be the judge of that in just a moment. A couple of recent issues within society. One is, is marriage. How do we define it? Who should be part of it? How many people can be involved in marriage? Does marriage even have a future within our society as we have known it for the past millennium? What about ethics on the edges of life? Are humans just something to be harvested and the parts sold off for profit? Have we reached a point where the care of our elderly is no longer cost-effective, so we have to save those dollars for those who are younger and more productive in society? Or what about absolute truth? Are all religions the same, or is Christianity the true religion, the only way to God? And if so, then what do you do with those who think otherwise? Those who say you have to convert, be our slaves, or die. And if they kill us in a holy war, then that's their only guarantee for heaven. Only guarantee for heaven. Do we, re how, do, how did you feel when I mentioned those things? Okay, for some of us, you know, the little hairs on the back of our neck, if you have any back there, may have raised, or you may have gone, gone gee, that, you know, that, that, that issue really gets my dander up. I really get worked up over that then how do you respond to people who have those views that are different than your own on some of those issues? Are you able to respond in gentleness and kindness, ready to give a reason for the hope of, the, of Christ that lies within you relative to this issue? Or are you unable to because you don't know how to be gentle on such an issue that you might really disagree on? I think this happens a lot to us in our hearts. I mean, we come face to face with someone who has a different view on something that we hold near and dear in our hearts. And when it comes down to it, we don't know how to be gentle in response because we get too emotional, we get too worked up over this particular issue. I'm going to give you a couple examples, okay? You see, the past couple weeks, one of the many Planned, Parent video, Planned Parenthood videos you listen to the people and you watch what they, they do and how they talk and how much they can get for a liver or a lung or an intact fetus, 
And then you read comments from the clergy advisory board for Planned Parenthood. Did you know they had a clergy advisory board? And, and on that board are three Reformed Jews, three Episcopalians, two United Church of Christ, two Baptists, a Unitarian, a Christian church, disciple of Christ, a Sufi. I, I forgot what a Sufi is. Uh, and, and one Muslim. Okay? And in their statement, they have a long statement about things, but here's one portion of it. As faith leaders committed to justice, honor, honesty, and liberty, were troubled by the decades-long campaign of harassment against Planned Parenthood and those they serve. Our faith demands care for those marginalized by poverty and other oppressions. Faith leaders have supported Planned Parenthood for nearly 100 years. People who work for Planned Parenthood give care and respect to those in need. They are doing God's work. Okay, now when you hear that, are you able to respond to somebody who holds those views in a fashion that is gentle and respectful? Now, now the problem is, we, we, you know, we, hold, we hold great views because they're found here in Scripture. And here we come across people who hold completely different views, and we get worked up, and before you know it, our voice is louder, and our tone is harsher, and I can't even think because I can't process the information that I know to be true, that I've studied, that I'm ready to respond to these people with. And they walk away and are confirmed in their belief that Christians are just, you know, simple-minded, uh, argumentative, and all. we just want to take everybody back to the dark ages. All because we didn't know how to respond in gentleness and in kindness. One of the things I want, this is homework for the week, okay? One of the things I want each of us to do is to re play through our minds the hot buttons in our lives. Now, maybe this was a hot button for you, or maybe it's a hot button for you if you come face-to-face -face with somebody who, who's, who says to you, isn't it great that anybody can marry now? And it just, it just makes you crazy. How would you respond? Are you able to respond in a way that is measured, and gentle and respectful of their views, but yet holds to the truth of Scripture. What if someone comes to you today and you're out with lunch, out at lunch, and you say, uh, "You say, oh yeah, you know, our, our our minister was gone last week because he went to his grandmother's 100th birthday." Okay, that's where we were last weekend. She turned 100, and that person says to you, "You know what? People of a certain age really should just." You know, make the sacrifice, not take any medical things, uh, and, and let the younger people have all the resources. Because the younger people are productive in society, and once you reach a certain age, we really shouldn't be pouring money into you. Okay? What happens when you hear things like that? You say, oh, well, Randy, there really aren't people like that in, in the world. Yeah, there are. There are plenty of people out there who hold views like this. How will you respond in a way that communicates God's truth and does so in a way that is measured and gentle and respectful? Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you with gentleness and respect. Well, let's look at gentleness in God's Word. Now, first of all, as an ethical quality, gentleness implies self-control. Ooh, why? That must mean that it is not our nature to be gentle, okay? Now, we all know people in our sphere of, of, of relationships who are just kind and gentle and sweet, and we, we think, oh, I'd love to be more like them, but I just can't. Why? Because it's our sinful nature. It is our nature not to be gentle. 
It is our nature to want to have, you know, here is somebody who has a different view than me on an issue that I'm just so worked up about, and I just want to crush them into the ground, okay? Because they're wrong, right? In my days, I have never crushed somebody and had them turn to Christ. I've never just, just beat them into the ground with a great intellectual argument and just talked right over them like they do on TV and at the end of it had them go, you know what, you're right and I'm going to come to Christ because of it. This just has never worked that way. Now, there have been times where that might have been part of the long-term relationship and process. You have to speak truth to people. But what Scripture highlights for us is this response from believers who stand in the Word of God, and they respond to people who have different views, different beliefs, who are outside the things of Christ, with this word, gentleness. Gentleness. So, gentleness implies self-control. So, we're going to see next week the importance of self-control. And why is self-control a fruit part of the fruit of the Spirit? Because it has to come from the Spirit. Why does it have to come from the Spirit? Because it's not within me. (laughs) It's not within my nature as a sinful individual to control myself. We understand. Some of us are better at controlling ourselves. Some of us are not so good at controlling ourselves. But as far as Scripture is concerned, it is a work of the Holy Spirit to come upon us, to take that portion of our sinful nature that wants to just, just run wild and be controlled. So gentleness is used to speak uh, throughout uh, its, its common usage of soothing medicine, gentleness as a light and cool breeze, gentleness as a cult that has been brought under control and tamed, so its energies are working according to its master. Gentleness does not in any fashion talk about weakness. In fact, if you look at a tamed lion and a wild lion, they are just as strong, okay? In fact, if you've ever been on a horse that responds to your command, think of dressage, okay? If you you see that person who sits, they've got the the black outfit and the hat, and they sit tall, and you, you don't see them move, but the horse goes through different motions like that. That is power. That's a 12 or 13 or 1400 pound animal who could just run rampant, okay, and cause a mess, but it is under control. That is gentleness. That is the concept that we get when we look at it. The biblical view of gentleness presupposes strength. It presupposes strength. It is not about weakness. Sometimes the word meekness is used, and that's appropriate, but uh, it it does not talk about weakness. It presupposes strength. So the ability to be gentle flows out of the fruit of the Spirit, out of and with self-control. Think of God. God does not exercise His power in a chaotic fashion, but it is under self-control. The Greek word that is used here in Galatians chapter 5 means to submit one's strength in a posture of meekness. To submit one's strength in a posture of meekness. It's a calm acceptance of God's sovereignty, It's a calm acceptance of what he calls us to do, even if he calls us to do something that I don't like, something that is uh, is a trial for me. Other places in New Testament, this word is translated as consideration. 
humility and meekness. Gentleness is the opposite of hubris. Now, the Greeks had no word for humility, but they had a word for the opposite of humility, hubris. Hubris is, means haughty or boastful or insolence. Now, gentleness is never, these are things gentleness is never. Gentleness is never a false mod- modesty. It is never self-depreciation. It is never a cowardly retreat away from a situation. Don't think that to be gentle, you have to say, oh, I don't confront people because I'm gentle. No, no. You have to confront them in gentleness. That's the whole point of it, is to bring the truth to an issue, to a discussion, to someone's lives, but to do it in a manner, in a manner where they can receive it, in a manner that is gentle. And gentleness is never false humility. Oh, no, I won't accept that. That's, you know, I, I, no, don't, it's not false humility. Not false humility. Look at, if you're in Galatians, turn, uh, we'll just look down a few, few verses to chapter 6, verse 1. Gentleness in the New Testament is closely related to wisdom and spiritual growth. So the mature believer, the wise believer, is, should be more apt to be gentle in any and every situation. Chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass... You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of what? Gentleness. Okay? Each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. So we see that, you know, the same type of thing as admonish one another. uh, As Paul talks about in Colossians. To admonish one another is to come alongside one another and put your arm around the person who is in error, the person who is in sin, and lead them back onto the road of righteousness. To admonish somebody is not to sit there and go, you stupid head, why did you go off and do that? No, it is to bring them back onto the road of righteousness and truth. Okay, that's wisdom, that is spiritual maturity. James says, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in gentleness and in wisdom. So let's look at one passage in particular that can help us, I think, a little bit more. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Now, just as context for the book of Timothy, remember, this is 2 Timothy, Paul's pretty much his last book that he writes. He's in prison. Paul is his spiritual son. He has nurtured him. Timothy is his spiritual son. Paul has nurtured him, cared for him. He's challenged him. He's taken him along in ministry. He has seen Timothy grow and mature. And he gives him some words to encourage him as he is out on ministry by himself now. And we come to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, And here's in particular, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth, and they come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. 
So let me give you the breakdown here uh, very quickly of this passage. Flee from youthful passions. Now, none of us uh, experience youthful passions, right? We've always been measured, especially us guys. We've always been measured and careful. We've never responded in, in ways that would not be otherwise, right? We, we all read the, um, the gentleman's book of etiquette, Manual of Politeness, being a complete guy. We read that, right, in our youth. Well, see, that, see, that's the problem, and, and Paul knows this about youthful passions, where we tend to run off and do things, be, you know, we tend to l- jump before we look or leap before we look and all those things, but he's talking broadly here about the types of things that can derail immature believers, and one of the things that can derail immature believers is a lack of gentleness, as, as he gets to at the end. Calvin says about youthful passions, he says, those impetuous feelings and impulses to which the excesses warmth of youth, the excessive warmth of youth makes young men prone. Calvin doesn't mention you ladies, okay? We must be the only ones who are prone to excesses, okay? But most of us, when we get some what? Some gray hair, we know, hopefully, when to keep our mouth shut when not to jump into something, or how to jump into something in the appropriate fashion, or we know things in our lives that we just have to stay away from because it's trouble. Because I just have never learned either to keep my mouth shut or to function properly, so I'm just smart enough now not to go there. Paul says, Timothy, avoid those youthful things. Secondly, Verse 22, he says, this is what you shouldn't do, but here's what you should do. You should pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness. Flee the youthful passions, pursue righteousness. And if you don't cultivate, he has to say produce, he has to say pursue it, because if we don't pursue it, it's not going to happen in our lives. If we don't pursue righteousness, if we don't cultivate all of these things from the fruit of the Spirit, it's not going to happen. Yes, those things are given to each believer, but we have to work on them. Okay, how many of you just are naturally patient? How many of you just are naturally really gentle? How many of you are naturally good? You have to work on those things. Okay, I haven't even gotten to self-control yet. Okay, how many of us are naturally self-controlled? Well, if I'm in my bed with a blanket over my head, you know, nobody else is around, maybe I can be self-controlled. He says you have to pursue righteousness. Turn that excessive tendency to impetuosity to the pursuit of righteousness. Thirdly, he says, refuse the foolish speculations. And and speculations here are things that are not listed in Scripture. Now, we know that there are implicit things taught in Scripture, implicit and explicit. An explicit thing would be the Ten Commandments. Do not commit premeditated murder. That's pretty explicit. Then there are implicit things, and then there are things that are not mentioned in Scripture that people like to chew on, right? What do you think Jesus did when he was a teenager? Okay, What do you think in those years? I mean, the Bible doesn't talk about it, but let's, let's come up with a, an idea of what Jesus did in those years. How many angels do fit on the head of a pin? Now, that's not hyperbole. There was long discussion in the Middle Ages about how many angels could fit on the head of a pin. Now that's idle speculation. That's a waste of time. Untruth does not produce godliness. Untruth does not produce godliness. And Paul wants people to mature. 
Then he says, Timothy, don't be quarrelsome. That, that's easy. Be kind. Now, that's easy. It, it's easy to understand. Is it easy to be kind? Ooh. I've met people who have been turned off to the church, turned off to the gospel of Christ, because the person who approached them, the person who made contact with them, the person who communicated the things of the gospel to them, did it in a fashion that was unkind. Okay? Maybe they come across some youthful impetuosity and they thought the youthful, the youthful guy said, if I crush him with the gospel, then he'll believe. No, that didn't happen. There are plenty of people who have been turned off because we have not been kind. We None of this is that we compromise. It is how we present the truth of the gospel. Because it is the truth. People's houses are on fire. Is it unkind to tell them that their house is on fire? Is it unkind to tell them the dangers of eternal damnation? Is it unkind to tell them that they have not experienced all that God has for them until they give their lives to Christ? No, that is the loving thing. That is the kind thing. We must do it in a gentle fashion. All right. Timothy, you have to be able to teach. You have to be patient when you're wrong. And finally, 25 and 26, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. Okay? It doesn't say crushing their views. It doesn't say winning the argument. It says gently correcting those who are in opposition. Why? Because that leads to repentance. That leads to repentance. It is hard to hate somebody who is loving you, who is kind to you, who is gentle to you. Okay? But understand, this kind of ministry, this kind of understanding of how we are to live is very messy. It is hard to be gentle from a distance. It is hard to be kind from a distance. It is hard to be good to someone else from a distance. We must involve ourselves in their lives. We must involve ourselves with where they are. We must invest ourselves in them. And then always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you with gentleness and respect. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, there are, there are things that, as believers, that just make us crazy about the non-believing world. And some of us may have held those views at one time. And, and, and there's nothing worse than the Reformed smoker. That's how it, it goes. But we have to understand that, that we may have been like that at one time. Our eyes closed to the truth of the gospel. Our eyes closed to an understanding of your will and, and, and how you call us to live. But you in your grace have come and opened our eyes. And now we have the opportunity to be the instruments to communicate that to others. But you call us to do it in a certain way. You call us to live in a certain way. There are times to be confronted. But you call us to put the velvet of the gospel on the brick of the truth, so to speak. We don't compromise on the truth, but we present it with gentleness. We present it in a fashion that demonstrates our love and care for those around us. We stand for the truth, and we do so in a gentle but yet uncompromising fashion, even if it costs us. Even if it costs us personally, even if it costs us as a church, we stand for what is right according to your word. 
Lord, these can be very difficult things to apply in our lives because they're going against our natural sinful nature, our natural inclination. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit can these be manifest in our lives. And as believers, Lord, you say these are given to you. Now, develop them, nurture them, so that you can demonstrate the gentleness of the gospel of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.